Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Ever, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash to pieces of genre cinema. My name's Chris. I'm Gary. And welcome to another Summer Screams episode. Yes. Um, this is this year's Summer Screams original versus remake. Mm-hmm. And fortunately or unfortunately, we have a triple bill. It's called a threesome. A threesome. <laughs> it's a triple bill. And um, it's three films based on the same material. Yeah. So H.G. Wells's novella um What's it called? Island of, Island of Dr. Dr. Moreau. That's the one. <laughs> and uh, the three films we've chosen are Island of Lost Souls from 1932, The Island of Dr. Moreau from 1977, and The Island of Dr. Moreau from 1996. So these are the Hollywood versions. The main ones. Of the story. There are other ones. Um, some of them we really want to watch and potentially would enjoy more than a couple of these films. But these are the three that we chose because they are official adaptations. They are Hollywood. They are, by all accounts, you know, a- A-list films. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, unbelievable <laughs> for three different reasons. Let's start with the poll results. Um, you guys lost your minds and you voted for the 90s one. <laughs> Nothing else. None of the other ones. It's 100% 90s. 100%. And all two of you are wrong. Um, oh, no. I assume people haven't seen the other two, which is terrible. Because, I mean, if you haven't, then they're better films than the 90s one. Let's just Not that a popular poll, clearly. No, no, oh, it wasn't. I mean, we've had more obscure films get more votes than that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so... Thanks for those two people. Um, but yeah, as Chris said, there are more... <laughs> Did you put it on your secret stories that way? Well, there, as Chris said, there are more than three versions of this film. Yes. And I'd very much like to do uh, Dr. Moreau's House of Pain for a future podcast episode. It means I've got a lot of nostalgia attached to it. I haven't seen the film, but it was always in Blockbuster. And I thought it was a slasher film. There's a couple from the Philippines, aren't there? Or yeah. At least... I think one of them was an American production filmed in the Philippines that looked really interesting. Yeah. And um, let's not forget, you know, this definitely is by Planet of the Apes. Um, and there are countless other films that have I paid homage, should we say? To yeah. This yeah. Material. Yeah. Uh, the the H.G. Wells novella. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. definitely. Uh, but arguably the most inspirational of the three is Island of Lost Souls from 1942. Yes, yes. So, uh, directed by Earl C. Kenton. Yeah, he did The Ghost of Frankenstein, House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula, The Texan, Secrets of Beauty, One Too Many, Bob and Sally, The Backs of Millions, and more. So it's given universal horror. Yeah. Yeah, and he, I'm assuming he got that off the back of this film. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, uh, it's written by Waldemar Young, who did The Lives of a Bengal Lancer, Where East is East, A Bedtime Story, The Unknown, London After Midnight, Test Pilot, Man Proof, and more. And uh, Philip Wiley, who did Johnny Tiger, When Worlds Collide, Night Into Night, 
Springtime in the Rockies, The Smiling Ghost, Under Suspicion, Murders in the Zoo, The Invisible Man and more. And all three films are of course based on the novel by H.G. Wells, uh, who disliked this adaptation of The Island of Dr. Moreau. He felt the film's emphasis on horror overshadowed the novel's uh, philosophical themes. Well, it's a good job he didn't live to see the other two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, because the at the heart of the story is this idea of man playing God. And it's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not fully rounded in any of the three adaptations, I don't believe. And The Island of Lost Souls, I actually think, is the one that deals with it the most. Yeah. Um, or at least... Should I say the most coherently? Uh, yeah. Definitely. So, but there are horror uh, horror elements, and and all three are horror films. Yes, yeah. and deliberately so. Yeah, and all three are summer films as well. I can't believe it. We've actually done a summer screens month where every film's been a summer film. Yes, yes. They look very hot and very, sweaty. Very rare for us. <laughs> Uh, it's made on a budget of $300,000, and I'm not sure how much it made worldwide, but I can tell you it was refused a cinema certificate in 1933 by the BBFC and remained banned in the UK until 1958 when it was released with an X certificate with cuts made. Among the board's objections were references to vivisection and cutting a living man to pieces, and Moreau saying, do you know what it means to feel like God? The film was finally released uncut on DVD in 2011 with a PG certificate. Yes. So, yeah, Island of Lost Souls, 1932, it's Mm -hmm. pre-code. It's obviously incredibly mild compared to now. For its time, it's pretty extreme. For its time, though, it's pretty extreme. And the Hayes Code came in just afterwards. Yeah. So they did get away with a lot more at the time, but seemingly not in the UK. And hence why... (laughs) It was banned, X-rated, and then given a PG. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in response to British censors who claimed the film was against nature, Charles Lawton's wife, Ella Lanchester, said uh, to have stated, of course it's against nature, so is Mickey Mouse. Well, it's true. I mean, technically, <laughs> you know. Shall we uh, talk about our first feature presentation? <laughs> I'm not beaten. <laughs> Get everything ready. For what? This time I'll burn out all the animal in her. <laughs> I'll make her completely human. Yes, so... Um, we open the film with Paramount Presents, Island of Lost Souls, with Charles Lawton, Richard Arlen, Layla Hyams, Bella Lugosi, and the Panther Woman. So there's a big emphasis with this film on the Panther Woman, yeah. particularly in the promotional material, the posters and the trailer. So the Panther Woman, obviously it wasn't a real Panther Woman, no. is a part played by Kathleen Burke. 
So Paramount held a national contest to find a woman to play Lota, the Panther Woman, and a reported 60,000 women participated in this contest. Yeah. Kathleen Burke, um, no relation to Kathy Burke. No. <laughs> Who's a British actress. Uh, Kathleen Burke didn't really go on to much afterwards. No. I mean, her music career is quite good in the 80s when she released Hounds of Love. Um, She just looked like Kate Bush. She just... Um, interesting that the poster does say the Panther Woman lured men on only to destroy them, body and soul, which isn't true yeah, at all. I don't know what they're going for there with that marketing. I mean, do they think more people will watch it if a woman's going around killing a bunch of men? That's... But it's the sort of exploitation, good girl gone bad, yeah. or women will, you know, lure you to your death uh-huh. and, and that, which is... Taylor's oldest time I mean, when yeah, it comes to cinema. She's actually really pleasant. She? <laughs> she's, she's, yeah, she is actually. But first of all, we're introduced to shipwreck traveller Edward Parker, played by Richard Arlen, and he's rescued by a freighter delivering animals to an isolated South Seas island owned by Dr. Moreau, plays, played by Charles Lawton. So he manages to get a telegram to his pretty blonde fiance Ruth Thomas, played by Layla Hyams, and um, she, she's, she's oh, oh, she's very that 1930s, uh-huh. isn't she, look? Um. Well, gee, golly, I've got to go see my husband. <laughs> yeah, well, fiance, fiance. Parker fights with the freighter's captain, who mistreats Maling, played by Tetsu Komai, a passenger with some bestial features. So this is our first look at the creatures... Yeah, waste no time. ...on the island. Yeah, get straight one, to it. Yeah, one thing this film gets right is that it's only an hour and ten minutes. This is where the other two massively go wrong. Yeah. Because this does everything it needs to do within an hour and ten minutes. Yeah, because The Island of Dr. Moreau is a short novel. Yeah. It's, it's not yeah. a hefty thing. So you can be true to the source mm-hmm. material and keep it quick. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, and th- this film definitely does that. So the captain is a drunk who doesn't trust Dr. Moreau and believes him to be a grave robber of some sort. The captain eventually tosses Parker overboard into the boat <laughs> hey, uh, of Mr. Montgomery, played by Arthur Hall, who is bound for Moreau's island. And also wants to toss uh, Parker. Yes, yes. In uh, a different way. <laughs> definitely. That dummy went fucking flying. <laughs> so when he's... And he is literally... I mean, Parker should have had a broken neck. Yeah. Because he punches it. The captain punches him and literally throws him what must be like... What? Like 50 feet? Uh-huh. <laughs> like into this yeah. boat. The, clearly a dummy goes flying, slams <laughs> onto the boat. And then we just cut to Parker like not even dishevelled. Just like... <laughs> Hey, what are you doing? Uh, Parker notices that the crew of this boat are rather animalistic in their appearance. I.e. they've got hairy backs. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say it, you know, for 1932, the creatures look great. Oh, yeah. The yeah. effects are brilliant. Uh-huh. Yeah, it looks fantastic. We're getting our first glimpse of this. So when Parker arrives at the island, Moreau welcomes him and introduces him to Lota, a young woman who Moreau claims is of Polynesian origin. Yes. 
And what's immediately obvious? What is immediately <laughs> obvious is that Charles Lawton is playing Dr. Moreau camp. Yeah. He is playing him uh-huh. camp. And I'm loving it. I'm here for yeah. it. Um, little backstory. Charles Lawton, yes, was married to Elsa Lancaster, who played the bride in The Bride of Frankenstein. But she came out after his death and outed him. Yeah. And essentially said, no, he was he was gay. Yeah. He was a homosexual. And it, this is pre-code, but you're still not, you're not going to get it obvious, slap around the no. face. But it's camp. It, yeah, it's very obvious. <laughs> it's, it is actually very he obvious. And the uh, gay dog Montgomery. Going off. Yeah, he and Montgomery are. Uh, yes, they're, they're definitely lovers. It definitely appears to be that way. So, uh, when Lota and Parker hear screams coming from another room, which Lota calls the House of Pain, Parker investigates. Um, the House of Pain. Be in that band from the 90s that took their name from this, yeah. That took their name from this. What is that song that they did? Jump Around, Jump Around, yes, of course. Um, so Parker sees Moreau and Montgomery operating on a human like creature without anesthetic. Convinced Moreau is engaged in brutal vivisection, Parker tries to leave but encounters savage looking humanoids resembling beasts emerging from the jungle. Moreau appears cracks his whip and orders them to recite a series of rules, the law, and the creatures disperse. So Dr. Moreau says, what is the law? And the sayer of the law, played by Bella Lugosi, says, not to eat meat, that is the law, are we not men? And then the beasts in unison say, are we not men? Dr. Moreau then says again, what is the law? The sayer of the law says not to go on all fours, um, and then again, he says not to spill blood. That is the law. Are we not men? So, fun fact, Devo got the title for their album, Are We Not Men? We Are Devo, from this. Either from the novel or, uh-huh. or from the film. Because it is a big part of the novel. And it is interesting. And it's it's something that happens in all three films. Yeah. You know, it is a big part of the novel. Um did you um have you got down about the mutants and what the noises they make when it's created from? No. Uh, so Lauren Alrider, the Sandman, recorded a mixture of animal sounds and foreign languages, played them backwards at alternating speeds, and uh, yeah, that's the noise, and it induced nausea and causes of course the audiences to vomit in cinemas. Oh, that was all right. <laughs> didn't even notice. I mean, again, something that this film does right is having this unnatural noise coming from the mutants. Uh, whereas in the 90s one and the 70s one, it's just people going... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the idea is that the Sayer of the Law is the most developed yeah. of the beasts, the creatures. Um, and he's the one that speaks. And the Sayer of the Law is... Dr. Moreau has created these laws for fear of the creatures uprising against yeah. him. Um, Bella Lugosi in very heavy makeup and unrecognisable. Yeah. Um, the trailer actually refers to him as Bella Dracula Lugosi. <laughs> Just in case. You got him Just mixed in up case. With, uh, the other Bella Lugosi. Yeah. So 
<laughs> Assuming at that point that's all he was famous for. So at the main house, Moreau tries to um, get Parker... Um, he tries to get Parker to explain... Oh, no. So at the main house, Moreau tries to get Parker on his side by explaining his scientific work. Years before in London, he had begun experiments to accelerate the evolution of plants. He then progressed to animals, trying to transform them into humans through plastic surgery, blood transfusions, gland extracts and ray buffs. When a dog hybrid escaped from his laboratory, it horrified people and he was forced to leave England. So... Dr. Moreau says, with each experiment, I get closer and closer. And this is when he says, Mr. Parker, do you know what it means to feel like God? Which the BBFC hated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But is that moral ambiguity of what this guy is doing? Mm. You know, why is he doing it? Is he doing it to benefit the animals? No. Is he doing it to benefit man? No. What he's doing is to make himself feel like God. Yeah. And um, I love how Charles... And Charles Lawton's performance is fantastic. It is, yeah. Brilliant actor. Um, I love how he's lit during this speech. Very horror movie uh -huh. villain. But again, this is what H.G. Wells hated. Yeah. This <laughs> Dr. Moreau, yeah. not necessarily as um, sort of morally ambiguous as he'd intended but a horror movie mm -hmm. villain. Um, Moreau tells Parker that Lota is the sole female on the island, but hides the fact that she was derived from a panther. Moreau privately, with the same sinister lighting as before, expresses his excitement to Montgomery that Lota is showing human emotions in her attraction to Parker. So he can continue observing this process. Moreau destroys the only available boat ensuring Parker cannot leave, and blaming this on his beast men. So, um, yeah, again, this interesting idea of Moreau being obsessed with creating humans from animals. Yeah. And, but the idea of... I don't know... And, and it is something that's maybe a little lost in the film, is that really the why. We get the idea of him playing God... What is his final thing? What what does he want? Um, in 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 the sense of bringing the best of animal behavior mm -hmm. and the best of human what capabilities mm. like emotions and such. And it's interesting, but also maybe a little lost. So um, Ruth awaits Parker's return as the boat docks. But she uh, finds the captain instead. Uh -huh. The captain says, won't I do? <laughs> she, tells it, she tells him about himself and informs the authorities, which leads her to getting on a boat with a Captain Donahue in order to find Dr. Moreau's island. Lota is falling in love with Parker and they eventually kiss. And it's a very Hollywood kiss. It is. Like People don't kiss like that in <laughs> real life. <laughs> He looks like he's uh, choking her with his arms. I love it. And, oh, what was the... Oh, it was Sex and the City when um, Carrie and Berger are having their issues 
and they're, they're like, oh, do a Hollywood kiss. And they do that really, that part where, oh, how would you describe it? Where they, oh, the dip. The dip. Where the, the guy yeah. dips the, the, the woman. And uh, yeah, so it's very Hollywood. So after Lota hugs him, Parker examines her fingernails, which are now reverting to animalistic claws. Parker storms into Moreau's to confront him for hiding the truth about Lota. Moreau explains Lota is his most nearly human creation and he wanted to see if she was capable of reproducing with a man. He says that Lota was afraid of Montgomery and himself, which is why he never tried to reproduce with Lota. I don't think that's true, honey. Yeah. I, I think Montgomery and Moreau were too busy with each other. <laughs> that's true. Her nails giving you Lorene. <laughs> yeah. This is uh, Eurovision. <laughs> um, enraged by the deceit, Parker punches Moreau and demands passage off the island. Moreau observes Lota weeting, uh, weeping. Weeting. Weeting. She's just, she's just doing some just straight weeping. wheat in the <laughs> And uh, she's showing human emotions. His hopes are raised and he screams that he will burn out the remaining animal in her in the House of Pain. Ruth and Captain Donahue arrive at Moreau's island and she is reunited with Parker and Moreau persuades them to stay the night. Uh, Ruth says, I imagined you in some terrible place, but this is charming. Montgomery comfort, uh, comfort, uh, comfort. He comfort comes in. He comforts Lota, who oh. is nervous of her oh, fate. No, definitely not Lota. In the house of pain. <laughs> he reassures her that there will be no more house of pain, and this is where Montgomery turns. Mm-hmm. So um, he's like, "No, this this queer lifestyle on the island. <laughs> I'm sure it's Fire Island that they're on." This queer lifestyle is not for me. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm turning my back on Dr. Yeah. Moreau. Um, love of a good woman. <laughs> oh, there is no love of a good woman. There is no love of a good Roofs woman. Roofs with uh, Parker. Yeah. I'm sure we'll find one. So the ape-themed Oran, playing by uh, Hans Steink, mm-hmm. one of Moreau's creations, tries to break into Roofs' room, but is driven away by her screams. High camp. Yeah. This is I mean this is classic Hollywood uh-huh. horror. This is universal horror. This is the monster at the window, the uh, blonde lady in bed by herself. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, it's pre-code but it's not that pre-code. So they're not sharing a bed at all. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, obviously Parker goes in after hearing the screams. And Montgomery confronts Moreau and implies that Moreau arranged Oren's attempted break-in. Donahue tries to reach the ship and fetch his crew, but Moreau, seeing him depart, dispatches Oran to strangle him. Donahue manages to shoot one of the creatures, who has a very over-the-top reaction, flinging himself into the air. <laughs> it's very... <laughs> oh, is it uh, Revenge of the Ninja? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's very... Oh... Uh, learning Moreau, although I've never been shot, so I don't know how I'd react, to be fair. Probably I don't think I'd do though. half a backflip. Learning Moreau has allowed Oren to break the law. The other beast men no longer feel bound by it. They set their huts ablaze and defy Moreau, who tries and fails to regain control. Moreau says, have you forgotten the house of pain? And the Sayer of the law says, you, 
You made us in the house of pain. You made us things, not men, not beasts, part man, part beast things. So it's interesting, again, you know, that their lack of identity and not knowing exactly who they are or what mm -hmm. they are. The Beastmen drag Moreau into the House of Pain and brutally hack him to death with his own surgical knives. And th this, I believe, is the um, iconic scene of the film. Yeah. It's the one that we've kind of seen a lot in horror mm -hmm. afterwards. And, and I'm assuming highly influenced by this. Yeah. You know, Dawn of the Dead, mm -hmm. Cannibal Holocaust. Absolutely. When, you know, the zombies or, you know, the primitives, they take revenge. Yeah. And literally by tearing them apart, mm -hmm. you know. Parker, and it, it's classic, and, it and, and Charles Lawton plays it so well, and it's brilliant. So Parker and Ruth escape with help from the disaffected Montgomery, and Parker tries to rescue Lota, but she decides to buy the group some time when she notices Oran ambushing them, leading to both of their deaths. Ruth, Parker, and Montgomery escape by boat as the island goes up in flames, presumably destroying Moreau's work and eradicating the Beast Men. And then we get a surprisingly cheerful soundtrack over the end. We do. We go from a film with no soundtrack at all to a bit of like, um, sitcom-y, jazzy party music. Yeah. <laughs> da, da, da. Um, yeah, which always makes me laugh with classic Hollywood. Like No matter how dark the subject matter is, there's always a cheerful bit of soundtrack at the start and end of the film. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, but yeah, I think it's an absolute classic you can see why it's been so inspirational and it's very atmospheric as well. There's like, there's definitely a creepy feeling to it. And I think that's in part because of the lack of soundtrack, which obviously we'll talk about later on. Um, but I think, you know, it really, it set the bar for future horror films. No, absolutely. I completely agree. I think it would have been, you know, an influence on the kind of universal horror that we got afterwards. Yeah. I think it's been an influence on many horror films, like I mentioned. Um, I think Charles Lawton gives a fantastic performance, mm -hmm. a really fantastic performance. I think I agree with H.G. Wells, where I think a lot of the sort of moral story could yeah. have been a bit more emphasised. Mm -hmm. I would have liked that. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's top-notch entertainment. It, what, it's barely over an hour. Yeah. You know, and perfect for a midnight movie on a yeah. Saturday night. Yeah, really, really great film. That brings us to our second feature presentation, which is The Island of Dr. Moreau, 1977, directed by Don Taylor, the director of Damien Omen 2, <laughs> Escape from the Planet of the Apes, which is actually one of my favourite Planet mm, of the Apes films. Nice. The Final Countdown, Ghost of a Chance, The Diamond Trap, Classified Love, Secret Weapons, and more. Okay. Yeah. The Planet of the Apes connection is obvious. Definitely. Uh, it's also written by Al Ramrus, who did Darker Side of Terror, The Rat Patrol, A Deadly Business, My Husband is Missing, Zuma Beach, Elizabeth Taylor, An Intimate Portrayal, Oh. Strange New World, portrayal. and more. Is it Portrayal or Portrayal? portrayal. Is it Portrayal? Portrayal, yeah. Oh. John Herman Shayner co-wrote it. 
He did His and Hers, Going South, The Last Married Couple in America, Darker Side of Terror, My Husband is Missing, and more. And finally, an uncredited Richard Allen Simmons, who did Major Pain, Murder, Smoke and Shadows, Harry's Harry's Hong Kong, Juggernaut, Ritual of Evil, Fear No Evil, Female on the Beach, and more. Okay. Female on the Beach. I mean, that's this My Husband is Missing. (laughs) Are two films I definitely need to watch. Title alone. <laughs> Budget six million dollars, and at the box office, it made four million dollars. Oh no! It's hardly surprising. Yeah. Um, and let's talk about why in our second feature presentation. Far away, in an unknown place, there is a forgotten island where fear has lived unchallenged until now. The island of Dr. Moreau, where a madman has unlocked a secret of nature and unleashes the terrors of hell. No! 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 The island of Dr. Moreau, where strange creatures, half man, half beast, turn a tropical paradise into a raging jungle. Where lost souls shriek in the night and man is no longer safe from the creatures who now stalk him. The Island of Dr. Moreau, from American International, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. So yeah, in 1911, ship's engineer Andrew Braddock, played by Michael York, and two other men are floating in a lifeboat in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, following the wreck of the ship Lady Vane. So one of the dudes who isn't Michael York is unfortunately dead. And uh, so the other two throw him overboard. And it's kind of, it's kind of the first thing we see. It's yeah. just this corpse being thrown overboard. I was like, oh, okay. Michael York, um, our listeners may know as Austin Powers' boss. Y- yes. <laughs> I mean... There's no- cabaret. Cabaret would be my choice, but you know. It says not more. everyone's seen Cabaret. It says more about me than it does Michael York. No, no not everyone's seen Cabaret. <laughs> no. They but should. Th- this, what, it's what, five years removed from Cabaret? Yeah. And I, I think this is, apparently he turned down the role many times before eventually saying, yes, I'd do it. Is this his trying to be a leading man? Maybe. Leading he, man? he should have uh, carried on refusing the role to be. Yeah. <laughs> Now, yeah. let, let's let's just say this now. This is not a bad film, nor is it a good film. It's honestly the most average. It is the epitome of average. It's one of those... <laughs> it's definitely one of those films where when it's finished, you, you don't really... And I understand I'm sat here talking about it now for the podcast, but you don't necessarily talk... You're like, oh, okay, that happened. What's for dinner? Yeah. It's not one of those kind of... In a week's yeah, time. It, it's... When anyone's going to mention the island of Dr. Moreau to me in the future, I'm not going to think of Michael York no. and Burt Lancaster. But, you know. <laughs> there's, there's another film you'd think of. Yeah, we, we've talked ourselves we'll, into we'll, this episode, we'll... <laughs> so we're going to have to talk about it now. We'll, we'll talk about the memorable one after this one. So After 17 days at sea, Braddock and the other man land on an island, and the other dude is dragged and eaten by animals off screen. <laughs> Braddock flees but is trapped in a rather elaborate bamboo booby trap. He awakens and is nursed back to health in the compound governed by the mysterious scientist Dr. Moreau, played by Burt Lancaster. 
So, Burt Lancaster, very famous actor, yeah. like A-list. Mm-hmm. So, very... The Dr. Moreau character in each film is played by an A-list actor. Yeah. You know, an Oscar winner. All mm-hmm. three Oscar winners mm-hmm. for Best Actor. So, and it... Yeah, it's fine. Moreau... <laughs> Moreau is fascinated by healing, and in particular Braddock's healing after 17 days and nights at sea. And this is a really interesting aspect Mm. to the film, and the idea of, you know, do animals heal better than humans? Is that an aspect of animal, you know, genetics? Genetics is the word I'm looking for. Animal genetics that could be used to help humans. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. If they would have carried on with that. (laughs) Besides Moreau, the inhabitants of the compound include Moreau's associate Montgomery, played by Nigel Davenport, a mercenary, and Michael Caine impersonator. (laughs) Was he not available? I don't think Michael Caine... I think Michael Caine was too expensive. No, of course he wasn't. No, this is 70s. This is 70s. Michael Caine would have been in anything at this time. When was the Italian job? 60s. Oh, okay. Well, this is 77. I feel like the Italian job launched his career, though, and gave him a big name. Yeah, but, I mean, we fucking love it. Five-star masterpiece. But Dress to Kill was a step down for... Wow. You know, this this is... <laughs> Jaws my, the Revenge. This is Jaws the Revenge. <laughs> this is creeping up to Jaws yeah. the Revenge, Michael Caine. Yeah, it'd be interesting to look at what he was in around this time. Was it Ashanti as well? He said he just did it for the paycheck to buy his mum a house or something, yeah. wasn't it? Oh, no, that was... Uh, no, that was Jaws the Revenge, wasn't it? Was it was Jaws the Revenge. He's like, I've never seen the film, but I've seen the house it bought my mum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, this is Nigel Davenport. could have Dav- got him another holiday to a fucking island. He loves one of those, he doesn't does, he? He does love that, well, this is Nigel Davenport, who went on to star in Chariots of Fire, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Just any role where Michael Caine wasn't available. He was there. Yeah. Um, definitely, they watched the first film and were like, no, we're not queer coding these characters. Montgomery's a mercenary. He's <laughs> Just in case you're wondering, Michael Caine was in A Bridge Too Far. Okay, that's year. a big film. That was a, yeah. That's a big film. Okay, cool. So, Moreau's mute, misshapen servant, Maling, played by Nick Kravitz, and a stunning young woman named Maria, played by Barbara Carrera, also join and they're part of the island. So, Nick Kravitz was the acrobatic partner of Burt Lancaster. Not, like, in a gay partner way. (laughs) But apparently, you know, they did acrobatics. And uh, he featured in many of Lancaster's films. I just realised, saying it out loud, I realised that sounded a bit gay. The acrobatic partner. Did that just sound hilarious to you, that Burt Lancaster was doing acrobats? I think, no, I think he was uh, famous for his acrobatics. Was he? I think so. Jesus. I mean, he always had, like, a physique. You know, like, yeah, I think so. <laughs> doing acrobats. I, I struggle with actors. In, of Hollywood. I prefer actresses. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, Nick Cravat, he didn't always speak in his roles, and he certainly didn't in this one, as he had a very strong Brooklyn accent that he just could not get rid of. <laughs> he also famously played the gremlin in the famous Twilight Zone episode, Nightmare at 20,000 uh-huh. Feet, which was really cool. 
Uh, Brava Carrera. So we know her from Wicked Stepmother. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was also a Bond girl in Never Say Never Again. She was. And um, wasn't she meant to be an octopusy? But she, she turned was it supposed down to be an octopusy. To do Never Say Never Again because. So she's an unofficial Bond girl. Because that's an unofficial it's Bond not canon. film. Yeah. It's not canon. It's, it's a remake of Thunderball because that's what they're allowed to do. <laughs> um, yeah, but she wanted to work with Sean Connery. That's why yeah. she did it. So uh, Braddock takes a liking to Maria straight away. And Moreau suggests that he found her on one of the islands working as an 11-year-old prostitute, which is rather grim. It is a little grim. And a bit unnecessary. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, why, why are you mentioning that? Because it's not true. Was this Because it's, it's just after, the powerful woman. Was this before or after Pretty Baby? Before. Oh, okay. I thought it was just capitalising on that. No, no. I, I just think it's awkward to put it in there because it, it it's not true. No. It's not true. Because yeah. she was made by him in yeah. the House of Pain. <laughs> Sounds like I'm about to start a song. <laughs> Moreau welcomes Braddock as an honoured guest and willingly shares his fine library. But there are some strange goings on. One day, Braddock witnesses Moreau and Montgomery manhandling a chained creature who is clearly not quite human. And Braddock soon realises the island is home to more than just this one. Being the nosy prick that he is, Braddock finds a very hairy, beast-like man asleep. Moreau explains that they are, in fact, the hybrid products of his experiments upon various species of wild animal. Braddock is both shocked and curious. <laughs> Moreau... Moreau then... I'm bored. Moreau then explains that he is injecting the animals with a serum containing human genetic material. At times, the human-slash-animal hybrids still have their animal instincts and do not quite behave like a human. This sometimes enrages Moreau, who is left feeling that his experiments have not worked successfully. That night, as Braddock is, re- Braddock is reeling from the learning the truth, Maria goes to his room where they have sex. <gasps> Scandalous. It is implied that this is intended by Moreau as he watches the window from outside. Um, it's intended by Moreau, but it's clear that Maria was gagging for a bit from the get-go. Yeah, it's also really awkward that he's just standing outside, just <laughs> like checking his watch. Oh, she's nearly done yet. <laughs> it's also clear Braddock was desperate to get his leg over as well. Yeah, it's very saucy for a PG. Um, yeah. It's, I, I suppose it's it's... The kind of idea of, well, they kissed in the first one because it was 1932. How can we up this? Yeah. And he's like, well, let them have sex. Mm-hmm. But kind of, I don't know, Mills and Boone kind of sex, isn't it? It's yeah. very sort of um, <laughs> not erotic, kind of romanticised. Like, oh, take me, hold me, <laughs> kiss me. I mean, yeah. that's the Batman Forever song, but okay. <laughs> Thrill me. More on Batman Forever later on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, the following day, after witnessing Moreau whipping one of the creatures for not acting human enough, Braddock takes a rifle and leaves the compound, determined to see exactly how the hybrid creatures live. The creature that gets whipped appears to be nude, 
with a mass of fur covering what would be <laughs> where his genitals would be. So it, it, looks, harder, Daddy. it looks so <laughs> weird <laughs> because obviously he's hairy all over, mm-hmm. but there is a very clear mass of fur. So obviously they're not yeah. going to show his um, genitals. So Braddock enters a cave and finds several male creatures. Just as he is surrounded by them and about to use the rifle to defend himself, Moreau appears and restores order. The Sayer of the Law is the only one of Moreau's experimental beasts who can speak, and Moreau calls on him to utter the three laws aloud to the other creatures. God, I was fucking sick of hearing this. Uh, it's it's so true. No going around on all fours, no eating of human flesh, and no taking of other life. This reminds them that they must not attack Braddock, so they leave him alone. Moreau and Braddock disagree on the morals surrounding Moreau's experiments, and again, this is an interesting part. Braddock believes they are human and should be treated as such with respect. Moreau tells Braddock that their animal instincts are still there and therefore they must fear Braddock, Braddock, Moreau and Montgomery, as he suggests that if the creatures become violent, there would be no way of stopping them. Moreau says, if they spill one drop of blood, it will drown us all. Very poetic, Mm -hmm. I thought. Moreau then informs Braddock that he's stuck on the island anyway due to the next supply ship not arriving for another two years. How do we even know that? I know. (laughs) Extreme. But uh, did they get, like, well, they must have a calendar. I don't know. It's 1911, but they must have had calendars, but it's still oddly specific. No, not another two years, mate. So after the bull man, played by Bob Osman, kills a tiger, Moreau intends to take him to the House of Pain as punishment. <laughs> this taking someone to the House of Pain. <laughs> there has to be a wrestler who has said this. I'm going to take you to the House of Pain. <laughs> I th- Oh, was it Mark Henry? I, you wouldn't know anyway. So the House of Pain is obviously his laboratory. And we get an actual real-life tiger wrestling with someone in a suit, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Okay. It, it's not quite a zombie versus shark, no. but it's a few years before that, so we'll give credit where it's due. So the bull man panics and runs. Braddock finds Braddock finds him in the... I keep wanting to put a T on the end of Braddock, and I don't know why Braddock... T- <laughs> but it's definitely just Braddock. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a Coventry thing. So Braddock finds him in the jungle, badly injured, where he begins to kill him rather than return him to the lab. Braddock shoots him, which angers the other creatures due to Braddock breaking the law of killing. Convinced that Moreau is insane, Braddock prepares to leave the island with Maria. Moreau stops them and straps Braddock to the table in his lab. Braddock wakes up looking a little cat-like, and Moreau then injects him with another serum so that he can hear Braddock describe the experience of becoming animalistic. So Braddock is he's giving a little bit Rod Stewart, especially with the hair, mixed with Jocelyn Wildenstein. He's giving Shirley Carter from EastEnders. It's, but Shirley Carter also does look like <laughs> Rod Stewart. I, I thought <laughs> a reference people might actually get. Um, but you know, you know Jocelyn Wildenstein. 
So she's uh, she's the very rich divorcee who famously had plastic surgery mm-hmm. in order to make her eyes look more cat-like. Yeah. But then she couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. Um, so he does he doesn't look like that. To be fair. Uh-huh. Um, caged, Braddock struggles to maintain his humanity. When Montgomery objects to his this treatment and threatens Moreau's life, Moreau shoots him. Um, so he's he's clearly not had a uh, hetero outcome. No, <laughs> so he has to die instead of being saved. Uh, Moreau feeds Braddock live rats, but Mar- Braddock can't bring himself to eat them. <laughs> And Braddock tries desperately to hold on to his human emotions. He does this by talking about his life, doesn't yeah. he? So he says, I was born in Bolton, Lancashire. Bullshit. And I can assure you, Michael York, <laughs> who has a very posh accent, was not born in Bolton, Lancashire. He was born in Fulmer, a village on the opposite side of the country. He does not sound like he was born in Bolton, yeah, Lancashire. Me, from Bolton. <laughs> yeah. The Bolton thing's fixed in the next film, though, don't worry. Yeah, it certainly is, it certainly is. Outside the compound, the angry creatures turn on Moreau because by killing Montgomery, he has broken the very law he expected them to follow. Moreau is mortally wounded at the compound's gate while trying to whip his attackers into submission. They tear Moreau and leave him bloodied on the ground before carrying his body to the compound. The creatures, now overpowered by their primitive instincts, go on a rampage to try and break into the compound and destroy the House of Pain as the sayer of the law states, There is no law. Braddock, still struggling to remain human, resists killing Moreau, who quickly dies of his injuries anyway. (laughs) So they like, Oh, no, no, don't do it. Don't, no. And then he fucking dies anyway. Uh... Moreau tells him that animal, that he's an animal, you know, animal, you're an animal. To make himself feel better, though, Braddock uses Moreau's hanging corpse as a diversion (laughs) so that he, Maria, Maling and the beast folk servant women can escape through the compound. Eventually, the man beasts break in and the compound is burned. In the chaos, the wild animals which Moreau kept for his experiments are turned loose and a battle ensues between them and the hybrids. Most of the man-beasts are killed by the animals or consumed by the fire, the sayer of the law's throat being torn out by a tiger, the bear-man tackled off a roof by a black panther, and the lion-man is mauled by a normal lion. During the final escape, Maling risks his life to save his companions from a lion and both fall into a pit trap. And this seems to be a big selling point of the film. So yeah. we, we had the tiger from earlier, um, but this really ups the ante with these stuntmen wrestling mm-hmm. large animals. Um, it's also really prominent during the trailer. Um, it's a thing in films. It, it is yeah. a thing. The spectacle, you know, it's circus, isn't it? Yeah. Really, these wild animals going crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's entertaining for the yeah. most part. Um, Braddock, Braddock and Maria. Why do I keep doing that? What's wrong with me? Braddock and Maria managed to float away in the lifeboat that Braddock arrived in, but are followed by the hyena man, who is one of the last man beasts. After a battle with each other, 
Braddock kills the hyena man with a broken oar. And it is fucking gory. It is. It is gory. But fucking hell. They're making up for time, clearly. (laughs) Because the battle goes on for ages. And the hyena man, at least five times, is knocked into the sea. And then he emerges. Uh Knocked into the sea by Braddock. Emerges. Knocked into the sea by uh, Maria. Emerges. Um, sometime later, they see a passing ship and the serum has worn off, returning Braddock to his full human state as Maria looks on with changed feline eyes and the film ends. The film doesn't seem to make a big deal of this reveal, though. Which is shocking, considering the poster, the main image is her turning into a panther. Love the poster for this film. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't happen no. in the film, but I love the poster for it. But it is a blink and you'll miss it. Yeah. Moment. The the soundtrack doesn't change. Mm-hmm. No. Um, you didn't think it happened. No. And then we had to sort of go back and, yeah. and look and be like, oh no, it did happen. Um. Yeah, and that's the island of Doctor Moreau, nineteen seventy seven. Uh, like we said, highly average. Not a bad film. The effects are great. Yeah, the performances are good. That's that's the problem. Is that is you know it's not bad enough to slag it off, but it's also not good enough to praise it. It's just criminally fine. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think the the special effects make it slightly above average. Yeah. Um, but all in all, I wouldn't watch it again. No. No. Um, yeah. No, it just it just kind of happens. There's a little compared to the Island of Lost Souls. Yeah, uh, it does try to bring up the moral aspects more, but doesn't really do anything with them. Mm-hmm. So it kind of feels like a waste of time. Um, it, it's a little slower for it to be an hour and a half. So there's bits in it that weren't really necessary yeah. or interesting, and yeah. Yeah, it's it's a what's what's for dinner kind of film. Yeah, <laughs> but that brings us to our third film, and in a bizarre series of events, it's the Island of Doctor Moreau from nineteen ninety six. This film, <laughs> oh, the fact that it exists is a fucking miracle. Yeah, I think a good way to start is uh, by something that. Uh, lead actor, well, not lead because his name wasn't big enough, but one of the main actors, uh, something he said, David Fearless, uh, he said that he would love to give a real account of the film's production, but fears that if he did, he would never work again. He has vowed to never watch the finished film because of the experience. I think that's also a good time to mention that Val Kilmer, who is also in the film, described the shoot as crazy. Marlon Brando, who is also in this, was still recovering from his daughter's suicide. The day production started, the French government set off an underwater atomic bomb near Tahiti, uh, where Brando owned an atoll. Okay. Kilmer turned on the TV and learned that he was getting divorced. Right. Two days later, the studio fired director Richard Stanley due to their concerns over the film's direction. John Frankenheimer, who was hired to replace him, clashed with Brando Kilmer and studio executives from the start about the film's direction. Right. There is a documentary. There is. Called Lost Soul, the story, the, story, the doomed story 
of uh, Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau. I highly recommend watching it. I'm very glad we watched that before watching the film. because <laughs> It definitely made this film a lot more entertaining. This is an absolute bizarre series of events. This entire film, everything about it. The production story is more interesting than the film itself. It's just, it's one of those films that is famous because of how much of a train wreck it is. <laughs> messy is the word. Yeah. Messy. Messy behind the scenes, messy in front of the camera, messy before, messy afterwards. Yeah. It's messy. So, uh, as I mentioned, you know, directed by John Frankenheimer, who did The Manchurian Candidate. One of my favourite films. Seven Days in May, George Wallace, Prophecy, Ronin, Path to War, Reindeer Games, The Burning Season. You know, prolific director. Yeah, I I think his legacy is um, as a good director who directed anything. It's all yeah. That came along. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Val Kilmer frustrated him so much that after shooting Kilmer's last scene in the film, Frankenheimer allegedly said, cut, now get that bastard off my set. <laughs> Val Kilmer's famous for being an arsehole. He right? is. And we've not watched Val. No. The documentary, which is meant to be very good. And, yeah. and I think touches on The Island of Dr. Moreau as well. I should hope so. Um, but yeah, the sort of... What you hear about Val Kilmer at the time yeah. is that he's a steaming shit. Yeah. yeah. Fresh off of uh, Batman Forever. Yes. And a divorce, um, apparently. And a divorce. <laughs> Written by Ron Hutchinson, who did Traffic, Murderers Among Us, the Simon Weisenfeld story, Acceptable Risk, Marco Polo, The Devil's Teardrop, Slave of Dreams, Fatherland, and more. Now, co-written... And co-directed, uncredited, by the absolute, and yeah, (laughs) absolute bizarre human being that is Richard Stanley. He directed Colour Out of Space, Hardware, Dust Devil, The Theatre Bizarre, Europe 99 Euro Films 2, The Secret Glory, and more. So, according to rumour... I don't think it's rumour, though, because, I mean, people who are actually there have said this happened, and I fully believe them. With everything else that went on with this film, this is probably one of the least strange things. After the studio fired him, he convinced the makeup crew to turn him into one of the background mutants so he could keep tabs on the making of his dream project. He supposedly did not unmask himself until the rap party. Yeah. He spent four years developing the project, only to be fired after four days. And when Val Kilmer encountered him during the rap party, he apologised for costing the director his job. Marlon Brando later offered to compensate Stanley, uh, and he didn't take it. (laughs) So, the thing about him sneaking on set is one of my favourite pieces of trivia ever. (laughs) Like, absolutely ridiculous. What a fucking weirdo. It's, yeah. Um, From the documentary, (laughs) the impression I get of Richard Stanley is... That he thought this was going to be his five star masterpiece yeah. classic mm-hmm. that was going to resonate through the years yeah. and you know win Oscar after Oscar and and all that business and you know 
can I say that the film would have been better if he'd carried on as director? Maybe, you know, I, I'm not psychic, I don't know. <laughs> but surely there's a lot of aspects to this film that he was still responsible for. Yeah, I mean... It's his kind of... It's based off his script. It's based off his script. And it's, the you know, apart from himself being fired, everyone else, sort of people he gathered together yeah. as director... But I, I, he, I got the impression he took himself far too seriously, uh-huh. and um, how dare they fire me from this film? <laughs> and so he's so pretentious. He did. He did come across as very pretentious. It's uh, very much like, oh, well, where they went wrong in uh, Island of Lost Souls is uh, they didn't focus on the animals taken over. You know what? They didn't fucking need to. No. And this film no. certainly did not need to. No. Like, why do you think this film is such a disaster? I mean, the film's called The Island of Dr. Moreau. You kill off Dr. Moreau halfway through. Like, what are you doing? First up, before we get into the film, it was made on a budget of $40 million and it made $49.6 million at the box office. <sighs> yes. The big summer blockbuster of 1996. Yeah. The big. Razzie nominee of 1996. Do you know what it was nominated for? Oh my god! Did it? Did it win? Any? Um, I I can have a look, um, because it is vast. Um, I was gonna say. I mean, it has the Razzies written all over it. Yeah, big time actor in the lead role in a trash piece. Come on. Yeah. Well, how many big time actors? Quite a few, really. Yeah. Val Kilmer has to have been nominated. Oh, one. Yeah. No. Uh, um. This is also, uh, well, I should find now. It's a good time to mention this is produced by everyone's favourite uh, producer, Bob Shea. The man who just can't keep himself to himself when a production is underway. Yeah, he's definitely one of those producers. I and mean, we know, we've mentioned it. Loves his, the times. sound of his own voice. Loves his face and everything. They describe him as... Um... Sort of someone who wanted to be an actor, yeah. but didn't quite make it. So he just I'm surprised he got himself in involved. I'm surprised he wasn't one of the creatures in this. Yeah, um, the Razzies, um, nominated for worst picture, nominated for worst director, John Frankenheimer. Yeah, winner for worst supporting actor for Marlon Brando. As it should. Nominated worst supporting actor Val Kilmer. Nominated, he didn't win. No, well, no, Marlon Brando won. Uh, it should have been a joint award. Nominated worst screenplay Richard Stanley and Ron Hutchinson, and nominated for the worst screen couple slash worst screen ensemble for Marlon Brando and that darn dwarf, which is how Dave described it. So yeah, we wouldn't. Yeah, Ratman himself. Yes. Um. But yeah, that's uh. Let's see where I see nominees. Justified, I feel. Yeah. Do you agree? Absolutely. <laughs> I feel like it should have won a few more of those. I wonder what won that year. It yeah. Is. It's not telling me here. Well, on that note, let's talk about our third and final feature presentation. On Dr. Moreau's Island, there are three rules. Don't drink the water. Don't disturb the natives. And whatever you do, don't feed the animals. New Line Cinema presents the science fiction event of the summer. Marlon Brando, Val Kilmer, David Thewlis. The Island of Dr. Moreau, directed by John Frankenheimer, rated PG-13. Now playing. So we start in the Java Sea. 
and uh, the United Nations negotiator, Edward Douglas, survives a plane crash where the other two men he's with have a fight before one of them is eaten by a shark and Douglas beats the other one to death with an oar. Douglas... Because it has to be more. It has yeah. to be more than the, yeah. the first two. It has to be way more over the top. He's then rescued by a passing boat and we get a half-hour's voiceover telling us all about it where his very northern accent is revealed. Yeah, yeah. And and David Fulis, if I remember correctly, is northern. Hello, it's me, David Fulis. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, how did I... Was it like a Warburton's advert? Yeah. <laughs> Tetley's tea. Tetley's tea. Oh, I can't beat Yorkshire tea. Oh, it's Marlon Brando. <laughs> um, also worth noting, this is set in modern day, in the 90s, rather than uh, in the past. Yes. Something we are reminded of very shortly. Uh, aboard, Dr. Montgomery, Val Kilmer, tends to him, and after telling him the boat has no radio, he promises Douglas the captain will take him to Timor. Uh, he also talks shit about Jim Morrison and informs him he's more of a vet than a doctor. Now, immediately, Val Kilmer's performance is bizarre. Yes. His headphones around his neck. Yeah. Um, he looks like he's had a shit ton of cocaine. He is he's on it. It's giving Top Gun. Kind yeah. of. Uh, I mean, in terms of his aesthetic. Yeah. So he's shirtless a lot. Or he's in short shorts, he has headphones, um, or he's wearing like a vest or something. Homoerotic is the word I'm It's very homoerotic. Most of the scenes between him and David Fulis are very homoerotic. Yeah. Um, When they arrive at Montgomery's destination, referred to as Moreau's Island, uh, he advises Douglas to disembark so he can use the radio on the island. Yeah. In order to get Douglas to disembark, he suggests that the captain of the boat has taken a shine to Douglas. Yeah. In what I'm assuming is a gay way. Yeah. And kind of trying to gay panic him off the boat. Uh-huh. Which is so weird. He's trying to... Well, I mean, I think it was a test to see if he was gay. I think maybe... <laughs> what, if he stays on the boat, he yeah. knows he's in there. Because, yeah, the, yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Montgomery unloads a shipment of rabbits uh, a pen where he kills one for Douglas's meal. Yeah, um, Douglas speaks to one of the rabbits and says, uh, what's going on in your head? What's going on in your head? <laughs> and then, crack. <laughs> Next broken. Oh. They go to the main house where Douglas is warned not to wander, uh, but he meets a daughter of Dr. Moreau's called Isa, uh, while she's doing a camp dance and dressed like she's auditioning for Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2. Yes. Uh, played by the contractually obligated Feruza Bok. <laughs> yeah, and it is obvious for every second of her screen time. It's very obvious. She does not want to be there. Um, she was good friends with Richard Stanley. Yeah. Um, and she was not happy about it. And they basically told her, if you leave this set, your career's done. Yes. Um, but she, I, I'm assuming Richard, maybe Richard Stanley directed the camp dance because potentially, I mean, her heart's in it for the dance. Well, yeah, it really is. What's her accent, by the way? I have no idea. It, it changes a yeah. lot throughout the film. Uh-huh. She compliments <laughs> Douglas's beautiful hands and Montgomery turns him away from her with a flower in his mouth. 
which he later gives to Douglas after he leaves into his room. Yeah. <laughs> On the way, they discuss how Moreau vanished after becoming obsessed with his animal research. Montgomery locks Douglas in his room for his own safety, but he escapes that night. Yeah, and, and, and again, you know, I ask, what is going on here? Is it sexual <laughs> tension? Did Val Kilmer forget his lines? There is a scene where he says something and it looks like he genuinely forgot and he left it in. Yeah. Um, in all seriousness, I, I genuinely, I know we've mentioned it, but I, I genuinely feel that Val Kilmer was so bored. Yeah. And so, you know, disinterested Mm -hmm. in this role that he actively decided to play it gay. Yeah. Just to get a little bit of interest or excitement Mm -hmm. out of it. It's like, oh, I don't know, you know, I'm really bored. I don't really want to do my best work. I'm just going to play it gay. Uh And then, you know, pretend that it's an active choice. I mean, he's never said this. He's never... No. Well, Montgomery knew in that Island of Lost Souls was playing a gay, so... Well, maybe, Dr. Moreau and... Maybe... Yeah, I suppose. Maybe it's taken a bit but from I, that. I, I think, you know... I doubt it. Potentially that is, you know, queer canon. That, mm. You know, those two are gay in, in the novel and in, yeah. in the film. Certainly Do not in the 1977 Do you think Val Kilmer read the novel? No, of course not. No, but it, it's not going to be explicit in the novel anyway. You, you know, as queers, we have to find it wherever we can. Do you think anyone on this set read the fucking novel? <laughs> I think Richard Stanley did. Oh, Richard Stanley I, definitely I did. I think he Richard made his Stanley personality. read the novel and he, again, was going to make this great... <laughs> film based on the, the novel yeah. ignoring what had come previously and this was the true adaptation of the island of Dr Moreau <laughs> after exploring briefly Douglas hears strange moaning cries coming from nearby he's curious much like Val Kilmer and enters a laboratory uh-huh. building and finds a room of medical equipment incubation chambers and liquid filled uh, cylindrical Artificial wombs containing what appear to be fetuses developing. Um, so over the top. This is so so fucking ridiculous, and gets even more ridiculous when he hears the cries again, and from a distance watches in shock. And tell us face that as a female human slash llama mutant gives birth with several doctors attending to the delivery. Honestly, did not need this in this film. I'm glad it's there. It looks great. Um, but. So unnecessary. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it is seriously ridiculous. And and again, you know, it's these remakes that have to outdo what came previously. Yeah. Like, you know, in 1977, well, let's have them shag. And in this one, let's have them give birth. Yeah. And this is very much a Richard Stanley thing because he was saying in a documentary, this is his vision. He showed the drawings of the uh, llama hybrid given birth and stuff. So this is very much his kind of thing. This is what he was trying to do. Mm. Um, Douglas's presence is noted by one of the male doctors who peels back his face mask to reveal he is also a human-animal hybrid. And uh, Douglas flees, finding Isa, who leads him to the village of the mutants. Still confused and shocked by what he has witnessed, Isa simply looks at him when he asks questions. Yeah. <laughs> Awkward. 
the two find a partially eaten rabbit and observe a leopard slash human hybrid called Lomai, also referred to by the nickname Cheetah, who runs away with the help of some god awful nineties CGI. It is, and it, it it it's a sign of the times, you know. I I don't want to be too harsh, but the CGI is iffy. Yeah, it's not great, girl. I mean, thankfully, the practical effects make, make up, up for, for it. it. Yes, yeah. no pun intended. They meet a Sassimon who takes them to a village where they find the Sayer of the Law, a generally benevolent sheep-slash-human hybrid played by Ron Perlman with large curled horns grown from his head and hoof-like hands, whose law preaches being human instead of animalistic in terms of practicing manners, restraint, and discipline. Dr. Moreau, in a bizarre series of events, appears, complete with white face paint and sunglasses on top of a truck. This entrance is something else. This is the lasting image from the film. And it's, <laughs> it's a real shame for the people who put all their effort into the special effects for the hybrids. Yeah. Because this is the image uh-huh. that you <laughs> remember. Yeah. Marlon Brando... Painted white. <laughs> Looking at... And, and I haven't watched every Marlon Brando film. But from what we have seen, he looks completely different. He yeah. does not look like Marlon Brando. No. He's very... You know, he's put on a, a ton of weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and... The outfit... He looks like a ghost. He does. He but does. it's it's like a really shit version of Lee Bowery. <laughs> it, yeah, I don't know how to describe it. He, well, he's apparently worshipped and referred to as the father by the mutants and everyone else on set because honestly, to go this guy did whatever the fuck he, he wanted did. to do. All of these things, they're all his ideas. Yeah, like I mean, the white face paint. I don't think that was in the original script. No. But he's like, no, no, yeah, that looked good. That looked good. And they do this. I really feel like he was fucking with everyone. I really feel like he sabotaged this film. Because he was, he made some of the stupidest decisions. And we'll get to him as we go on. I think, I think he was going for a very tough time. Yeah. And because he was allowed Mm -hmm. to do these things. He just took whatever idea came into his head first. Yeah. And ran with it. Yeah. And he was allowed to. Yeah. He was, uh, well, okay, you're Marlon Brando. You're on the, the front. You're on the poster. People are going to want to watch you as Dr. Moreau. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> but much like Val Kilmer, he's notorious for being difficult to work with. Yes. Um, you know. But also, like, Method, yeah, he's like he was a big proponent of the method acting. Certainly not in this film. Oh, well, but I he d- basically said, confirmed three other people in the documentary that he couldn't give a shit. Yeah, no. he no. couldn't give a shit about the film. And why in this scene does it sound like he's talking in an empty room? <laughs> um, he he couldn't give a shit about the film, and. No. He, except for when he tried getting uh, John Frankenheimer to uh, scrap the film with him and uh, write their own script and do their own thing with it. And do you want to hear a, a secret? 
I would like to watch that film. Because if it is as ridiculous as this is, (laughs) it would be camp tastic. It would be ridiculous trash to piece. He wore a small radio receiver to help him remember his lines. And co-star David Fulis claimed he'd be in the middle of a scene and suddenly he'd be picking up police messages and Marlon would repeat, there's a robbery at Woolworths. Fulis also said that Marlon Brando described making the film as like trying to complete a crossword puzzle whilst falling down an elevator shaft. (laughs) The fuck does that even mean? (laughs) It is discovered that he keeps the hybrids um, at at bay. He keeps them uh, controlled by using a remote-controlled electrical implant surgically placed at birth under their skin. This is one of the few methods of security Moreau implements against his creations. Dr. Moreau tells the villagers to release Douglas and demands that Montgomery gives him his gun back. And uh, Douglas is like, oh, why are you doing this? And uh, Dr. Moreau's like, don't you feel the heat? Can't you feel the sun? I can't stand it and what it's doing to us humans. Never comes back again. Never comes back. <laughs> so if, he, if this is about climate change... Yeah. And the effect that humans have on nature. That's really interesting. Yeah. But it doesn't come back. <laughs> and it's also... Um, he sounds like Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> sounds like Anthony Hopkins looks like Pat Butcher. So... <laughs> yeah. What a mixture. It, Moreau takes half of his face paint off and then calmly reassures a shocked Douglas... Uh, explaining who he is and who his children are. He explains his genetic creations. He introduced human DNA into animals in search of a higher being, supposedly incapable of harm. The existing beast folk are imperfect, but Moreau claims to be very close to a solution. That's it. We cut to, in a bizarre series of events, Moreau playing piano very dramatically with Magi, played by Nelson De La Rosa, Ratman, you yes. as his own mini piano above the main one. Yeah. So the story behind this is he would go around to people who speak a foreign language in the cast and uh, try talking their language to them, just making up words, and no one was that. Who it. would? Uh, Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando. Um, but then he went up to Nelson De La Rosa, who went along with him, and he was like, that's it. I want him in every scene with me. <laughs> He demanded that this guy who had the smallest part was in every scene with him. It's... It was... This is definitely what it's led to... It's quite an image. Yeah. Because, like I said, you know, Marlon Brando had put on a lot of weight. And, you know, the... What was the character's name? Excuse me. Uh, Magi. Magi is, you know, very small, statured. Yeah. You know. Um... So it's quite the world's smallest person. The world's smallest person. Yeah. You know that was his claim to fame, really. Yeah. Um. So it is a a great image. Kind of confusing though. It's camp. It's, it's fucking camp. high camp. This is what led to the whole mini me thing in Austin Powers. Oh, did it really? Yeah. Oh, I see. Um. Oh. Moreau's son, um, Azazello, comes into the dining room whilst they're all having dinner. And brings in the half-eaten rabbit, much to the disgust of Moreau, who completely forbids meat-eating. And uh, Montgomery's like, no one saw me kill it except you. And looks seductively <laughs> at Douglas. When Douglas like, well, I had no, no way of knowing. 
in a flirty yet dead inside voice. Yeah. Um, during this scene as well, Moreau explains that the white face paint is because he's allergic to the sun. <laughs> Which is a real thing. I mean, it's a real thing. Um, you know, people do have, you know, real issues with sunlight yeah. and the heat. Why have you gone to this island? If that's, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, why? It's his island. It's There's fucking names island. on it. <laughs> I don't talk tomorrow. Why have you purchased or taken over this island if you're allergic to the sun? Um, Douglas also says. This is the most outrageous spectacle I've ever seen, <laughs> which I think is what the uh, cast and crew were saying <laughs> each and every day. You would later say the same thing on the set of Basic Instinct 2. <laughs> oh, don't. Poor David Fulis. I feel like... Uh, this is the third bad film we've watched him in this year for the yeah, podcast. We're, we're doing a podcast episode on Naked soon. <laughs> uh, when he learns of the eating rabbit, he promises that there will be a trial the next day. Douglas tries to escape by boat, but stops as it is overrun with humanoid rats. Yes, we get humanoid rats. <laughs> at the outdoor trial, Lomai becomes enraged and runs at Moreau. To which Moreau says, I forgive you. <laughs> there are scenes from this point onwards where his dialogue is Inaudible. Inaudible. No idea what he's saying. It's no sense. When the remote-controlled implant doesn't stop him, Azazello suddenly shoots Lomai dead, much to the shock of all in attendance, including Moreau, who says, What have you done? <laughs> His body is cremated publicly uh, and not <laughs> immediately disposed of. Douglas screams to himself, half assed of course, Ah... And a mutant hyena, <laughs> a mutant hyena called Hyena Swine, who looks more like Ron Perlman than Ron Perlman himself. I was very confused <laughs> as to who Ron Perlman was playing. He comes to grieve his friend by screaming at his skull. When inspecting the charred remains, he notices a strange object embedded into Lomai's arm bone, the control implant. He then feels for the same implant on his own body and subsequently digs it out and removes it from the bone. <gasps> Roaring loudly in pain. Yeah. Um. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um. Would have been better if this was the third act, and it was the start of the third act. Because again, I don't think we needed half of the film to be dedicated to them taking over. Um. But yeah. Ex that's, yeah. The execution is is naff. Um. Hyena then realizes what the implant is. He says no more pain and wants to spread the word to all the other mutants. Montgomery kisses some of the animals. Um, <laughs> Val Kilmer kissing these fucking beasts in suits. These suit, these men in beast suits. High camp. Was it necessary for Majai to be nude in this scene? No. By the way, <laughs> um, the makeup effects given it's given him a giant ass for yeah. some reason uh -huh. and a tail. Looks like Freddy Krueger. Yeah. Is it meant to shock or impress? Like, what is <laughs> what is the reason for him to be nude? Like, what? What? Because it dis it's distracting. No yeah. It's distracting from the whatever Val Kilman's saying. Well, he's saying to Douglas that in addition to the pain, the animals are controlled through regular drugging to prevent them from uh, retrogressing. 
Hyena Swine reveals his removed implant to Montgomery, who sets the other beasts after him. Meanwhile, Douglas tries to contact the outside world, but Montgomery sabotages the radio. Uh, he shows up with a part from the radio on his head and has a chat with Douglas with a shirt off and big boots on a desk next to Douglas. Um, so he's wearing uh, like a form of a skirt, isn't yeah. he? And he, yeah, puts his boots up. But also kind of spreads his legs. He does. Yeah. It's <laughs> precursor to Basic Instinct 2 <laughs> for David Fulis. Clearly. Isa reveals to Moreau, uh, who now has an ice bucket on his head, insisted by Marlon Brando, <laughs> that she is regressing into a feline uh, as she shows her cat-like pupils, canine teeth becoming fangs, and her fingernails becoming sharper. Oh, don't worry about it, dear. Don't worry about it. Feruza Bolg. Yeah. The, the contractually obligated Feruza Bolg. Yeah. Must have been so pleased. I'm going to work with Marlon Brando. Yeah. I can't believe this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to... This is after the craft. Yeah. So her career's really taken off. And Marlon Brando, amazing. I get this scene where I'm acting yeah. with Marlon Brando. Yeah. What does it involve? Putting ice in a bucket <laughs> on his head. She could give, She could have given, and she doesn't, but she could have given the performance of a lifetime yeah. in this scene. Mm-hmm. But all anyone's going to remember <laughs> is her dunking ice into a bucket true. on Marlon Brando's head. Yeah. And that's such a shame. Yeah. Hyena Swine and his trackers, now on his side and also free of implants, break into the main compound and confront Moreau. Now looking like Harold Bishop from Neighbours. Um, so he starts playing piano for them and talking shit. Moreau comforts a seemingly depressed and sad hyena who begins to get more angry. And he asks Moreau, what are we? Moreau replies only, my children. And some other inaudible stuff. Uh, which causes hyena to become enraged, saying they reject humanity and the law. Now realising he may actually be in danger, Moreau presses the remote control repeatedly to no effect. The group subsequently attacks and kills Moreau in a rather camp, yet extremely gory way. (laughs) It is high camp. It really is. Um, The thing is, Marlon Brando, for a lot of the film, is dressed like... You know when Homer Simpson deliberately puts on a lot of weight so that he can work from home? Mm -hmm. And he wears, I don't know what the word is for it, but that floral sort of, mm-hmm. almost like a dress. Yeah. That's kind of how he dresses uh-huh. throughout the whole film. And they kill, is he on a hammock when they kill him? Yeah. Like he ends up falling onto a yeah. hammock and they kill him. And he's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's yeah. so, it's fucking stupid, but it's so good. I love it. Yeah. Um, but that's it. Halfway through the film, that's it. He's gone. The island of Doctor Moreau. Doctor Moreau is no more. Yeah. Douglas sees the aftermath of the attack and fires a gunshot, scaring the group off. Moreau's children grieve, except for Azazello, who steals Montgomery's handgun and goes to join Hyena Swine's faction. It's so annoying because it's as 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 Azazello. Why? I literally heard you say the word. I swear, these summer fucking 
screams episodes. <laughs> so warm. <laughs> He's obviously sort of morally ambiguous. Yeah. And his story is very interesting. And with Dr. Moreau dead, he could take over that sort of role mm-hmm. and, and sort of be the heart of the film when we try and understand yeah. where he's coming from. It's nothing of the sort. No. And it's so frustrating. No. Um, yeah. Isa informs Douglas that he can stop her aggression uh, with a serum from the lab. However, it turns out Montgomery has gone insane and destroyed it. Douglas also finds samples and a file with his name on them and finds out that Moreau was planning to use his DNA to stop Isa's regression permanently, completing his experiments. Now, this point, the cocaine budget must have really gone up. Montgomery starts doing an impression of Marlon Brando in The Godfather. Yes. Not his character in this film. No. His character in The Godfather, they must have just said to him, do a Marlon Brando impression. And instead of thinking of the film he's starring in right now, he does an impression of The Godfather in an office chair whilst dressed like Marlon Brando in this film with his white face paint and everything. And it is fucking ridiculous. It's so stupid. Because ultimately my question is, why does the character of Montgomery exist in this film? (laughs) I know. Like... Why? What? What is he doing? <laughs> what is the purpose? Douglas demands that he gives him what he wants whilst grabbing his face and almost kissing him. Uh, twice it looks like they're yeah. about to kiss. Montgomery starts screaming in his face, gets two slaps from Douglas, and uh, Douglas walks away. Don't know what the fuck this scene is there for. No. Meanwhile, Azazello leads the mutants to the armory. The mutants have now taken over the island. Montgomery starts promoting um, hedonism against uh, amongst the mutants. He sits in the former Doctor's throne as if he were a king and starts doing more impressions of Marlon Brando and the Godfather. Yeah. It's this is whilst a an orgy's going on. Yeah, there's an orgy going on right yeah. in front of him. Yeah, with all the mutants. Mm-hmm. And he's there doing these impressions, dressed as Marlon Brando in this film. It is a sight you need to see to believe. Why? Why? <laughs> Why? Azazello Why? Sh- Why is this happening? <laughs> Azazello shoots him, uh, kills him, uh, as the orgy continues, and Hyena Swine's group continues to rampage around the island. Azazello hangs Isa... So she's gone now as well. Yeah. Before being executed by hyena swine, having outlived his usefulness. But Douglas manages to survive by telling hyena swine to impose his leadership and be God number one amongst the others of his faction, especially those who helped him kill Moreau, causing hyena swine to kill his supporters. While he's distracted, M. Ling, who's in this, by the way, yeah, put to the back because uh, we wanted... Uh, well, because Marlon Brando wanted Magi um, down the front with him. Yes. He could have been there oh, the whole time. he would have been, yeah. yeah, he would have been that character, yeah. Uh, he triggers an explosion that causes Hyena Swine to lose his gun and allows Douglas to escape. Hyena Swine, finding himself outnumbered and defenceless, retreats into the burning building where he burns himself alive in anguish and despair. The Sayer of the Law, he's also in this, in case you forgot, 
and several other peaceful-minded mutants see off Douglas as he leaves on a raft. The sailor tells Douglas that the hybrids are wanting to return to their natural state of being and believes it is better to end their creator's work. In closing narration, featuring scenes of various human wars, conflicts and destruction, <laughs> real-life stuff... Yeah, it's like a world why? star compilation... <laughs> Of people randomly fighting. <laughs> They're shown as Douglas reflects on the comparable savagery that can emerge in humans. The film ends as he claims to leave the island in fear and that mankind is the true animal. Would you like me to... Do you have the whole thing? Give you the uh, closing narration. I'm not going to do it in a northern accent. This is a true record of what I saw. I set it down only leaving out the longitude and latitude of the (laughs) island as a warning to all who would follow in Moreau's footsteps. Most times I keep the memory far in the back of my mind, a distant cloud. Which I'm sure everyone involved in this film is trying to do. But there are times when the little cloud spreads until it obscures the sky. And those times I look around at my fellow men and I am reminded of some likeness of the beast people. And I feel as though the animal is surging up in them. And I know they are neither holy animal nor holy man, but an unstable combination of both, as unstable as anything Moreau created. And I go in fear. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up. He thought he ate that. He did. It made no fucking sense. Also, he's going in fear. Hun, you haven't looked scared once in this entire film. (laughs) That's The Island of Dr. Moreau, 1996. And what a film that is. I'd say it's trash to peace level. I mean, I was fully entertained throughout. Never for the right reasons. Um, Way more entertained than 1977. Um, Just absolutely bizarre. And like I said, a miracle exists. Absolute ridiculousness. Really just stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but entertaining, like you said. Um messy. Yeah. Confusing. Yeah. Um It has to be seen. You have yeah. to see it to see those Val Kilmer and Marlon Brando performances. Yeah. Oh yeah. They are both the worst and best thing about the film. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get to the awards and yes. see who comes out on top. I mean, I think we know. Cinematography scares, creatures, and soundtrack. So in 1932, I love the set pieces. It's a very eerie film. I love that sort of uh, universal monster cinematography that just has so much atmosphere about it. Uh, the costumes are fantastic. And no soundtrack, which I liked for a lot of the films. Sometimes it doesn't work, but a lot of the time, I just feel like it builds atmosphere. Yeah, I I agree on on all of that actually. I think this I think it looks great. I love those sort of visuals. I like when it's clearly a studio but it's really elaborate. Yeah. I do like that because you know, it's a film. It doesn't have to be. It's a film from 1932. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not going to be top of the realism scale. No. Um but I appreciate that. I think the scares are great. I like Charles Lawton's sort of horror villain performance. Yeah. Um, for, again, for 1932, the special effects, the creature makeup, yeah. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Really amazing. Um, the lack of soundtrack, yes, for me, 
particular scenes it was an issue. That's my personal preference. Mm. I could I would have liked the over the top score that you get with those sort of universal monsters and, and such. Um but it worked in other scenes. Yeah. So yeah, you know, re- really great on, on for most part. Nineteen seventy seven looks looks great. I mean yeah, you can't complain yeah. the cinematography. Uh the costumes are the best thing about it. It's very Planet of the Apes. Yeah, yeah, it's the uh, same makeup creator, John Chambers, as Planet of the Apes, um, both the films and the TV series. It, it, it definitely looks like it, and if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. It looks phenomenal, really does look it phenomenal. M- more of an adventure feel to the film, like very yeah. Tom Sawyer's Swiss Family Robinson. Treasure Island. Treasure Island. Yeah, it, it's almost, if it wasn't for the sexy scenes, mm. it would almost be like a Sunday afternoon it, Do you know film. what? Even with the sexy scenes, the whole thing for me yeah. felt like a Sunday afternoon well, TV film. I mean, the sexy scenes were very sort of Mills and Boone romanticised. Yeah. Anywhere. Well, it actually, should I say, if it wasn't for Burt Lancaster's corpse being hung, uh, maybe yeah. it would be more suitable for, you know, an afternoon film. But the soundtrack also feels like a made-for-TV film. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, ITV. Sunday yeah. afternoon. <laughs> um, 1996. Surprisingly gory. Um, yet again, when we're talking about good things with this film, genuinely good things, the costumes are the only good thing about it. Yes, I think nine the nineteen ninety six film overall was potentially going for like almost an elevated horror. Yeah, just in terms of it being a quintessential horror film, so and the scares weren't great, um, but also sort of having that moral ambiguity mm-hmm. there and and that sort yeah. of message. Um, yeah, cinematography... It's weird. It's weird. It, it's like there's so many weird close-ups. Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Out of the three films, they're three sweaty films, yeah. but this one looked the sweatiest. It did. Soundtrack's completely forgettable. Yeah, completely um, forgettable. Creature makeup, like Gary said, is, is probably the best thing about, yeah. about the film. I mean, I would give everything to the original just because of its time. I mean, the, like I said, the creature makeup is great in the other two. But for its time, that's very impressive. Uh, absolutely. Um, and you have to give context to these things. You know, cinematography definitely wins. Scares definitely wins. And even though it's lack of soundtrack, it's the most interesting use of sound out of the three. It was the... And you know I, I tend to forget mm-hmm. about soundtracks and such. And I, I'm really I'm trying to make an effort listen to them as I'm watching the film but I actually did notice that the lack of soundtrack so mm. I suppose that's more interesting yeah. than having a basic ass soundtrack that I just forgot Yeah. so the original wins for those awards and getting into the characters we have Dr Moreau 1932 played by Charles Lawton, 1977 by Burt Lancaster and 1986 by Marlon Brando I so, said it earlier yeah. what a lineup of actors it, yeah you know, this ain't cheapo B movie actors, and these aren't cheap cheapo B movie films necessarily. No, you know Charles Lawton, Oscar winner for best actor for yeah. um, that Henry VIII film that he did, but Lancaster, best actor for Alma Gantry, mm-hmm. Marlon Brando, two time Oscar winner, yeah, for best actor for Godfather and um, On the Waterfront. Yeah. You know, incredible. Yeah, um, Charles Lawton based his performance on his dentist. Okay. 
His dentist was camp. Camp and creepy, yeah. Camp and creepy. Uh, Bill Lancaster. Hey, that's my, that's my game. Bill Lancaster, much like everyone in that film, plays it far too straight. Just a stereotypical evil doctor. It's yeah. like boring. He did a fine job. Uh, I didn't think the role was particularly meaty in itself. No. Um, yeah. I Ma- thought Michael York got probably the more interesting yeah. part in that film. Marlon Brando, he does bring Camp back to the role. He does. Um, and it is constantly obvious that his lines are being read to him. He looks like he's waiting for them. You can actually it's see so in one shot, I saw it online, yeah. where you can see the earpiece. Yeah. It's it's hilarious and it's very entertaining to watch, but I mean, come on, it's got to go to Charles Lawton. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, my favorite part with the Marlon Brando though was um, apparently he was talking a lot about how warm he was uh-huh. um, on set. So I feel like every time he mentioned how warm it was or how hot <laughs> it was, it was Brando, Brando ad libbing. Yeah. I like, I like to think that that's what I mean, it's not beyond the realm's possibility. <laughs> like, he wasn't actually acting. He was actually yeah. telling people how hot he was. And they just kept it in the film. <laughs> um, Montgomery is played by Arthur Hole in 1932, 1977, Nigel Davenport, and 1996, Val Kilmer. Um, wow. What an array of different <laughs> characters. Michael Caine in 1977. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, which is fine. It's played straight, yeah. <laughs> you know? Whereas I, in The Island of Lost Souls, I found there was that ambiguity there and, you mm. know, it wasn't slapping us around the face, but I feel like there may have been some sort of relationship between him and Moreau, so yeah. he was an interesting sidekick. Yeah. Um, and then Val Kilmer, what the fuck? Yeah, it's just absolutely bizarre. Uh, <laughs> like, but completely pointless. He wasn't really a sidekick to Dr. Moreau because they didn't really talk to each no, other, no. strangely enough. Um, most of his scenes were with, you know, David Fulis, Um, But I wasn't really sure what he was going for apart from he wanted to get in David Fulis's pants. Yeah. And that was it. But he, he, so Val Kilmer didn't want to take the lead. No. Because he didn't have enough time. He wanted to be in like 40% of the mm-hmm. film. But I still feel like he was in the he film was in a lot. Than fucking Marlon Brando. Like, but still kind of a pointless character. Because yeah. ultimately, like, why are you there? And it's not a good performance. It's, it's not. It's not a good performance. Oh, Val Kilmer cannot be bothered. No. He cannot it's... be bothered. Bothered. Yeah, it's entertaining, but it's not good. He could not give two shits about whether this film fails yeah. or succeeds. He just could not... Just pay me the money. I'm going to, you know, play it a bit gay for my own interest and then fuck off somewhere. Yeah. Uh, I think we should give it to the original. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, Sayer of the Law, uh, 1932, Bella Lugosi, 1977, Richard Basehart, and 1996, Ron Perlman... Not a lot to say about this one. They all look very good in their makeup. But, I mean, ultimately, I'd say Bella Lugosi gets the most interesting scene out of the three of them. His scene's a little more iconic. Yeah, I feel I feel like the other two maybe get bogged down with... Just in terms of the, the um, 
Sarah the Law character, they're trying to uh, make other characters interesting and up sort of their screen time and yeah. their so the the Sarah of the Law sort of suffers because of that. Mm-hmm. But with the Bella Lugosi um character, it, it's more he is the leader. Yeah. He is the the one in charge and he's more of a, a character than in the other two. Yeah. Because I mean Ron Perlman, we thought someone I thought someone else was Ron Perlman for yeah. the film, you know? Yeah, so definitely uh the original. Yeah. Again. <laughs> Edward Parker. Wow, is this going to be a sweep? Uh, no, it's certainly not going to be a sweep. <laughs> Edward Parker, Andrew Braddock, and Douglas, played in 1932 by Richard Arlen, 1977 by Michael York, and 1996, David Fulis. Richard Arlen's got that typical 1930s leading man about him. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think his character is the most interesting. No. Um, I don't think the actor... I don't think he went on to like huge films or no. anything, did he? So it was, you know, he was the handsome, leading B movie man, yeah, sort of thing, you know, and, and it was fine. It was fine. Uh, Michael York, he refuses to put a shirt on throughout. Yes, yeah, that's true. Um, somehow skipped a northern accent, but it's from Bolton, and looks like Shirley Carter. Yeah, and I, I like Michael York, and I, I felt like. The 1977 film was his film. Yeah. And he was at the centre of it. And it mm-hmm. was fine. I think he gave a fine performance. Yeah. Um, a bit like Burt Lancaster. It, not the meatiest. No. Um, but yeah, it was fine. It was fine. And David Fearless, what the fuck? So what are you doing? I don't... <laughs> he makes sure we know the characters from Bolton, but I mean, come on. This He looks so bored. He just... I don't know. He looks like he sleepwalks with the whole thing. I genuinely feel like, even more than Feruza Bulk, that he was had enough. Yeah. He'd had enough of the bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, this was, again, this was meant to be his breakout role, yeah. really, in a big budget film with big stars. This this was going to, you know, he was the lead. He wasn't the most famous actor no. at that time, and this was meant to be it. And you can see on his face how the shenanigans yeah. off screen uh-huh. affect his performance. Oh, yeah. And he's just had enough. And, you know, he's from England, so it was probably, he was just as warm as Marlon Brando was. You could tell. You're yeah. Like, I'm not used to this heat. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a real shame. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, we need to find a good David Fulis film to tie all about. I'm sure I've watched any good stuff before. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, original? I suppose original. He does his job well. Yeah. Um, I do feel sorry for David Fulis. <laughs> I, I genuinely do, because I think he is capable of giving a really great performance. Yeah. But it's it's, it's all not, over not his face. Film. It's yeah. all over his face. He's No, he's tapped out <laughs> by that point. He's like, no, I can't do this. And finally, to see if it's a sweep or not, um, we've got Kathleen Burke um, playing the Lota the Panther Woman in 1932, Barbara Carrera playing Maria in 1977, and Faruza Bulk playing Isa in 1996. Um, so Kate Bush in 1932 is <laughs> giving me life. She is she so is. camp. Barbara Carrera um, doesn't have enough screen time. But what, what she, nothing wrong. I know. But what she did have 
was uh, a time where she posed nude in Playboy with men wearing humanoid makeup to promote a movie. Hi, camp. What a sleigh. Oh my God, I need those photos in my life. The producers also uh, exploited her sex appeal in publicity material by having her pose in skimpy bikinis against the backdrop of shooting location St. Croix in the Virgin Islands. They may have been exploiting her sexuality, but again, high camp. Yeah. That, that is amazing. Again, if she's <laughs> comfortable with that... Girl, fucking slay it. Just... You fucking pose new with those humanoid creatures. Absolutely. Rosa Bulk, um, again, do we have to remind you? She was contractually obligated to be there. She certainly and was. And it is obvious throughout. Like, she could not be bothered at all. Um, yeah, she's tapped out. She's yeah. like David Fulis. She's, I think, the moment that Richard Stanley was fired, who yeah. she was very friendly with. And again, her, it was a big chance for her. Yeah. Being a big budget film with some very famous actors, and they ruined it for yeah. her. Yeah, and she they couldn't leave because her career would be in a balance. Exactly, so, you know, but Val Kilmer and Marlon Brando do whatever the act the yeah. fools yeah. as much as they like. And Marlon, I mean, Marlon Brando literally suggested scrapping the film, walking off, and rewriting it. Yeah, yeah he wasn't threatened that his career would be over. Absolutely, because you know? he's a man. Um, but I mean, come on, Panther Woman in the original. For me, can't I, be a I agree. Like that. It's not. In in all th- three films, it's probably not the biggest role. No. It was promised to be the biggest role yeah. in the first two, to be fair. Um, but yeah, in, in the first one, it's it works the best. Yeah. So, congratulations, Lota, the Panther Woman. Now on to our final awards. Uh, one that I think may actually go to... Uh, the last character we spoke about for uh, both of us. <laughs> Biggest queen. Low to the, the Panther, Panther Woman. Woman. Yes, yeah. definitely. Biggest gasp. I have the hyena man's broken oar to the face in 1977. <laughs> I went with everything Marlon Brando says, wears <laughs> and does. Uh, best dialogue? Uh, Mr. Parker, do you know what it means to feel like God? Because yeah, I just thought it was... The most interesting, uh-huh. yeah, really. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And finally, that's camp. I have a tie. I have Dr. Moreau and his whip in the original Under Lost Souls. So camp. <laughs> yeah. And Dr. Moreau's grand entrance in 1996. <laughs> because I went with Marlon Brando for The Biggest Gasp, I went with Charles Lawton's Dr. Moreau for That's Camp. Yeah. And with that being said, the winner is by quite a margin um the original island of lost, lost souls. souls yeah ratings i give the original island of lost souls eight whippings from dr moreau out of ten <laughs> i gave it eight obviously queer but we're not allowed to say it villains out of ten 70s dr moreau i give six sessions of dr moreau trying to turn michael york into shirley carter out of ten <laughs> I went with six feline Rod Stewart impersonators out of ten. Uh, 90s Dr. Moreau, I gave it two mutant orgies organised by Val Kilmer out of ten. <laughs> I just gave it three bored Val Kilmers out of ten. Uh, and if you would like to watch the films, the original is available on Blu-ray and Video On Demand. The 70s one is available on Blu-ray, DVD, Freebie and Video On Demand. And the 90s one is available on DVD and Video On Demand. 
very much like to see a big fancy arrow release for the 90s one with the documentary yes, included. that would be good. And if you enjoy the original, I recommend watching Cat People. I recommend watching The Wolfman. If you enjoyed the 70s remake, then watch Planet of the Apes. Definitely Planet of the Apes, yes. And if you enjoyed the 90s remake, I recommend watching Nightbreed. If you enjoyed the 90s version and you enjoy an Oscar winner giving a camp performance of a lifetime in a film centred on people or persons in a suit, watch Trog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> what was the mouthful? <laughs> And, uh, of course, also check out Lost Soul, The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau, also available on Freebie. Yeah, which is a, a good document, a very interesting documentary. But yeah, after that bizarre collection of films, <laughs> uh, that is this month's original versus remake done, I would recommend just checking out the original and the 90s one. Don't bother with the 70s, you're not going to get much from it. Um, but you have to see the other two to believe. Yes, yes, I agree. Getting on to our best and worst new releases of the month. First up for the best, uh, I have Kokomo City. Yeah, Kokomo City, fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic documentary. Um, really interesting, fascinating subject matter. Um, yeah, just really enjoyed it. Hearing those voices on screen... You don't. You don't hear those voices. You don't. You no. don't see these people all the time, and I just really appreciated it. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, a very important documentary, one of the most important films to be released this year. And if you get a chance to see it on the big screen, I'm not sure if it's still showing, but if you get a chance, well, highly recommend it. And obviously, we're talking about um, trans black yeah voices yeah trans black women. And a documentary centered around them mm -hmm. and, and for them, yeah, as well. And yeah. being able to hear these stories, very, very important. Yeah, I, yeah. And for the worst of the month, it's Meg Two: The Trench. It is Meg Two: The Trench. Fucking how? How do you make a film about giant sea creatures boring? It. <sighs> It was very disappointing because I enjoyed the first one yeah. and I was hoping for more of the same, but it, it was, it was a bit boring. But like nothing was. happened until the last half an hour. Yeah. And then you did get more of the same then because it was just a copy and paste of what happened in the first film. It's true. So dull and just, oh, just a waste of time. Absolute waste it's of time. Very disappointing. As for our honourable mentions of old releases watched for the first time and also new releases, Legally Blonde 2 for me, which was, I enjoyed way more than I was expecting to. Criminal that you uh, hadn't seen it before. Much like The Sound of Music. Yes, uh, really criminal. <laughs> uh, Passing, which yeah. we were meaning to watch when it was first released on Netflix, but finally watched it now and it was fantastic. Yeah, really, really enjoyed that. Uh, please, Baby, Please, a camp new musical that... Is just like catered to our tastes. Oh, it, it really, please, baby, please ticked so many boxes yeah. for me. And if it wasn't for Kokomo City, it would have been my top yeah. pick of, uh, of the month. Matador, more amazing camp greatness from Pedro Almodovar. We have a very specific type of film that we enjoy, don't yeah. we? <laughs> yeah. 
Rushmore, which, because uh, we're making our way through more Wes Anderson films, and that was fantastic. I absolutely adored Rushmore. Yeah, yeah, really enjoyed that. We are trying to watch these films that we should have watched a long time ago, yeah. and Rushmore was very high on that list. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. Yeah, um, I've been a fan of the TMNT for, for many, many years, mm-hmm. and the, the 90s TMNT always my favourite and and I thought it really made a, a good homage to, yeah. to that sort of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mm-hmm. so yeah really appreciate it uh, Millennium Mambo which was uh, a very obscure film that we got we were looking to see on the big screen which was very very beautiful looking it's very slow burner um, yeah make sure you're fully awake and got a coffee if you're going to watch it but it's yeah one of those films where See it for the visuals, at least. Yeah, yeah. I highly recommend it if, if you like stylish, slow-burn yeah. films. Um, yeah. Francis Ha, a film that made it immediately into my favourite films of all time upon watching it. Thanks to Greta Gerwig. Yeah. Um, I think I have, or we have, slept on Greta Gerwig. Yeah. Um... I wasn't really, you know, we watched Little Women and enjoyed it, watched Lady Bird and that was fantastic. We didn't really delve too far back. Mm. Um, and we've been watching a few of her films at home, the local cinema, local sort of independent cinema here. And we're like, oh my God, yeah. you know, Kindred Spirits. Yeah. I love Greta Gerwig. Yeah, Damsels in Distress was also great, thanks to Greta Gerwig. Uh, as was Mistress America. Again, made into my favourite films of all time immediately. It's just absolute perfection. Yeah, relatable content. <laughs> yeah. And I think that really helps. I, d- I do feel like, not everything, but I do feel a, a, like a lot of what Greta Gerwig brings to these mm-hmm. films, I can relate to. Yeah. Um, I watched for the first time Face Off. Yeah. Oh my God. So good. Yeah. Talk well about ridiculous. Ridiculous. Uh-huh. <laughs> so amazing. Yeah. Scrapper, which was a very uh, exciting debut from Charlotte Reagan. Yeah, it was uh, screen and scene. I, I know a lot of people thought it was going to be Blue Beetle, uh, but it was Scrapper, and I, yeah. I really appreciated it. Great. I really liked it. Nice little, is it an independent British film? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, I, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. The Blackening, which was hilarious. Yeah, loved, loved, loved the blackening. Um, it wasn't. It didn't go into like full on parody mode, which I really appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, it did something different to what yeah. we've seen before, and I thought it was hilariously funny, and really, really enjoyable. And finally, for me, first time watch is from beyond. It's about time. Yeah, Barbara Crampton serving cunt from start to finish. <laughs> In her BDSM gear, oh my god, absolutely living for it. Um, yeah, it, it was about time you watched that because Barbara Crampton slayed. She did, yeah. My favorite performance of hers. And watched in advance of when we'll be watching Suitable Flesh. Shortly. Yes, how well, exciting! By the time this is released, we'll have watched Suitable yeah, Flesh. Yeah, true. Yeah, so uh, make sure you follow us. On uh, Letterboxd to yeah. find out what we thought. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can I also just give a little oh, mention? July. No. Oh, no, I didn't forget anything. No. Just a little mention to the film. Red, white, and royal blood. Every gay boy's 
blips right now. My rules of honourable mentions is I go three and a half and above. Um, red, white, but, but you gave us a love heart, did you know? I did, I did. Red, white, and royal blue. The, well, the love heart was for Uma Thurman's uh, portrayal of a, the southern president of the United yeah. States. I don't. yeah. I enjoyed it. It's it was a Polish Hallmark film. It's not, you know, <laughs> it's not a masterpiece by any means. But I did feel like we had to give it a mention because. I had a fun time with it. Well, I appreciate it for not being pro-royals, actually, uh, which I thought it was going to be, but it's instead kind of like, look at how they treat gay people. It's awful. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so fair play to it for doing that. Yeah, I, I, I was entertained for two hours. And yeah, uh, yeah I can't wait for the sequel because it's done really well, hasn't yes. it? Yes. So, very excited. Go watch those two twinks getting on in Paris. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, we are Horror Court Trash over on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and Horror Court Trash <gasps> on Twitter. I'm Gaz 92 on Letterboxd, Gazma205 on Instagram, and Gaschris92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker823 on Letterboxd and Instagram. And we haven't promoted it in a while because nothing's been going on. But I'm very, very happy and very, very excited to say that a week today from when this has been released, on September 1st, submissions will be reopening for our horror festival gasp yeah taking place in manchester on the 21st 22nd and 23rd of july next year if you're a filmmaker and you have something to submit and you are a minority filmmaker should i say which is our guidelines please send us all your work and we will fucking watch it and see if it'll make it to our lineup cannot wait very excited give us a rate review and subscribe on itunes like a follow on everything else these double episode weeks keep coming and we have another one next week where we'll be discussing old on Tuesday to conclude Summer Screams 2023. Yay. And on Friday we'll be bringing you our Fright Fest highlights from this year. Yes. Very looking very looking forward. Very looking, very forward. looking forward. Very looking forward to that. And next month for Original versus Remake we're going back to Toby Hooper. And we're discussing Invaders from Mars. That, I think, is going to turn out to be great. It's a nice little start to Halloween. Positive. Positive thinking. Yeah, who knows? (laughs) We'll be back same time, same place on Tuesday. Bye. Bye.